like steaks and I like Mexican food, and that's a great date. If you can do both in one night, that's a great date night. But what you need is not new plans for a date night. What you need is to remember. What you need is to remember what it was that drew the two of you together in the first place. And this is the setting, this is the situation that Malachi is speaking into uh, and writing into that, that Israel at one point in their history, Israel is the people of the Old Testament. Uh, Israel at one point was taken captive by Babylon. They were taken into captivity in Babylon and then at some point Babylon sent them back. They released them to go back to rebuild the temple. And they came back and then they, they rebuilt the temple. And when they came back, this was their forming stage, right? We're, we're back to build the temple. They had a clear purpose, a clear mission, establish the presence of God by rebuilding the temple. But now approximately 100 years had gone by. Babylon was a distant memory uh, and, and the temple was built. And they started to drift. They started to just drift from why they were here, why they existed in the first place. And we call this Mission Drift. This is why we titled the theme of the series, The Danger of Mission Drift, that Israel came back with a clear purpose, rebuild the temple, establish the presence of God. And it was built, and then they started to drift, and they started to blend in uh, with the cultures of the day. They began to drift. And Malachi is going to dive right into the heart of Mission Drift, and it's a word that we believe that at Sojourn we need to hear. So Malachi 1, verse 1. The oracle, the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? If you want to understand the book of Malachi, you've got to get into the emotions and the emotional state of the nation of, of Israel. That this, this question um, how have you loved us? It's not theological, it's not philosophical, it's an emotional question. And there are times when we ask questions, and when we ask a question, we're not really asking a question, we're more making a statement, right? So yesterday, uh, my kids were doing what they do, which means disobeying, and I got on to my kids, uh, and then my wife sat down and said, hey, Brandon, do, do you think you need to sound like a drill sergeant? And I I was like, have you met our kids? Of course I need to sound like a, Easton, he needs a drill sergeant. It's my four-year-old. He's breaking stuff right now at home. Um, that was a question that wasn't a question. And this is, this is what Israel is doing. They're asking a question that's not a question. They're, they're saying, I, I don't think that you do. I don't know that you do. And guys, I see the fans. I promise no random tangents. You guys just stay with me and this will be uh, nice and tight this morning. All right, so now how does God respond? How, how does God respond? Um, they say, God, I, I don't know that you do, right? I don't know that you do. I don't know that you love us. And how does God respond? He responds, is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord. Here's what you need to know about, about this. Esau, good. Jacob, bad. Jacob did the uh, the, the, one of the worst things you could do in an ancient Near Eastern um, culture and society to, to steal the birthright, the honor that belonged to his older brother. Um, in a, a modern Western society, we don't really have a, a good parallel for this. Uh, I think the, the best parallel I could come up with was it, it's as if you slept with your brother's wife. 
Jacob did one of the worst possible things imaginable in the culture and time in which he lived. And so what you need to know, Esau, good, Jacob, bad, and let listen to this. Yet I have loved Jacob. Yet I have loved Jacob and I have hated Esau. I have laid waste Esau's hill country and left Esau's heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom, the people of Esau, says, we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins. The Lord of hosts says, they may build, but I will tear it down. And they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. And so here's what, here's what he's doing. He, he's tracing the family tree. He's tracing the family tree and saying, hey, Israel, your lineage, it traces back to Jacob. And yet, I have chosen you. I have chosen Jacob. I have set my love on Jacob. And through Jacob, you as my people. And there is nothing in your biology that says you deserve it. If I trace it back to Israel, or through Israel to Jacob, he's saying from your origin, there is nothing in you that deserves my unconditional love. And yet I have decided that Jacob I would love and through Jacob to you. And so here's what he's trying to say to Israel through the family tree. He's trying to look Israel in the eye and like a father would get down on his knees to his children and look him in the eye and say, listen, listen, you want to know if I love you? Absolutely, I love you. You want to know why I love you? Simply because I do. You want to know why, Israel, I love you? Simply because I do. What more proof do you need than that? And here's why this matters. Here's why this matters, that he is tracing it back to Jacob and saying, listen, there is nothing in you today, and you know your history as well as I do. You, you, Israel, are a people who've rejected me time and time and time and time again, and your history traces back to Jacob. There is nothing in you that has earned or deserves my unmerited love for you, and here's why this matters to you. If my wife says to me, hey, hey Brandon, tell me, uh, why, why do you love me? And I look at my wife and I say, hey, baby, it's because of that skin, I mean, I love your skin. It's just so smooth. What in the world is my wife going to think when the wrinkles that have already set in start setting in? She's not here. Y'all don't tell her I said that. But what is she going to think when the skin is not so smooth anymore? But if I look at my wife and I say, why do I love you? What do you mean, why do I love you, sweetie? I, I love you because I do then she knows no matter what she looks like as she gets older, my love for her is going nowhere. And if you think your love or the love of God for you is contingent upon your life, contingent upon how you live, you being here on a Sunday, you gathering with a parish during the week, then, then what, what do you think is going to happen to you when all of a sudden your life it doesn't look the way it does today? And God is saying to you, I love you because I love you because I love you. No matter what your life looks like, I love you. And you might say, what about, I'm divorced. I had an abortion in college. I 
And God is saying, I sent my son to declare I love you because I love you because I love you. What, what more do you need to know? You think, I'm, think God has anxiety over your past? He's saying, I love you because I love you because I love you. And this message of the unconditional love of God traces all the way back to Jacob. And so here's a question. Here's a question because Malachi is pleading with them. Like when you, when you slow down and you read this, you can just feel the anxiety of Malachi. Anxiety might be the wrong word. Just the, the angst of Malachi for the people of Israel to remember. Remember. And so why would the people of Israel forget? It's a fair question. Verse 5. Verse 5, your own eyes shall see this. And you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. So question, why would Israel forget? Answer, unmet expectations. Unmet expectations. First, verse 4, right, this destruction of Edom, justice in their eyes, they hadn't seen it yet. But the other reason is that Malachi wasn't the only prophet that spoke into Israel uh, throughout this post being sent back from Babylon stage in their life. They, they also had two other prophets who had come in, who had spoken to them, who had prophesied and preached this grand vision of the future, this grand vision of the future that they expected to see with their own eyes, and they hadn't seen it yet. They, they heard this message of what life was going to be like through these two other prophets, and they hadn't seen it yet. And so they have this undercurrent of unmet expectations. And so Israel began to believe functionally, functionally. Like, I, I, I know that you love me, but I, I don't know that you do because you said this was going to happen, and I haven't seen this happen. I want so badly for this to happen. I want to see this. I want this in my life, and this hasn't happened. How do I know? Yeah, I, I hear you, man. Jacob, I know you loved us then, but how do I know that you love us now? Right? And this is the game that we play. How, I, how many, like this wasn't a, 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 you know, a church gathering and, and we were just sitting in like this honest conversation across the table at a coffee shop. How, how many of us in here would say, I have thought this, God, I'll know that you love me when? Right? I'll know that you love me. I, I want so badly to be married, and I'll know that you love me when. I want so badly to have children. I want so badly to have this job, and I'll know that you love me when. Or, or the flip side, God, I'll know you love me if you don't take this away. I, I'll know that you love me. You can prove it to me by keeping my marriage together. You can prove it to me by keeping my job. You can prove it to me through X, Y, and Z. We are no different than Israel. I am no different than Israel. I mean, how many times have, have we sat in a wedding, we've been a part of a wedding, and we didn't say it out loud, but we just felt this isn't fair. When is it going to be my turn? This is us placing conditions on the love of God for us. 
And so verses 1 and 2, Malachi, and by that I mean 1 through 5, Malachi's pleading, remember, remember, I love you because I love you. Because if you forget, this is where it leads. Verse 6, a son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you. O priest who despise my name, but you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food on my altar, but you say, how have we polluted you? By saying the Lord's table may be despised? Here's the first thing it leads to. right? When, when you know love of God, unconditional for me, and you forget that, here's the first thing it leads to. It leads to a hard heart. Listen to the heart of Israel in here. Israel had turned, I mean, they are acting like an attorney. That's no offense to attorneys in the room. I'm glad, I love attorneys. But here's what, like they are cross-examining God. But how defensive is Israel? You have despised my name. You have polluted my altar. Israel, prove it. Prove it. Right? Hey, okay, you say we've done this. Prove it to me. How? But you say, but you say, but you say, repetitive theme in the book of Malachi. But you say, but you say, but you say. This is cross-examining. This is a people unwilling to let God speak into the heart of the nation. And so how do you know if this is you? How do you know if you're being Israel like this? How do you know if this is, this is who you are? Are you unwilling to let people speak into your life? Are you unwilling? Are, are, has your heart gotten hardened to where you are unwilling to listen to the advice and counsel of others? If you do, if that's you, and at times, it's all of us, right? At times, it's all of us. But if that's you in a heightened season, let me, let me tell you what I think might be the undercurrent that you might want to get into. Just probing your own life, your own heart. It, it might mean that you have placed conditions on God. It might mean when you think about love of God, you think, God wants my heart that your response to God is, you have my heart. I can prove it. I've done X, Y, and Z. Because if I've done X, Y, and Z, and I know that I'm justified in my mind before God, I'm not about to let people speak into that. First evidence is a hard heart, and the second thing it leads to is vain worship. Verse 8. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? When you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts. And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts. Now at the, at the heart of, the Old Testament, uh, of Old Testament worship was the sacrificial system. And so to come into the temple, you had to sacrifice a, a, a perfect animal, a perfect spotless animal on your, uh, in your place, and Israel was not doing this. Israel was saying, hey, listen, that one, it's kind of junk, right? I don't need that one, so let's sacrifice that one. And listen to verse 10. Verse 10, one of the darkest statements in the Bible. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors 
that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts. I will not accept an offering from your hand. Shut the doors. Is God saying, I want the temple closed. I want the temple doors closed because I don't want you in my temple offering sacrifices in vain. I don't want your vain worship. I, want, I would rather that you didn't worship at all than that you worshiped in vain. Can I tell you, can I just bring this down to us and tell you one of the most dangerous places that you can be? And I, I say this as a pastor who loves this church, who loves you, who loves this neighborhood, who wants to see this city be a great place to live. Let me just tell you one of the most dangerous places you can be. One of the most dangerous places you can be is a regular church attender. Because it is possible, it is possible that you can gather weekly with a church and experience enough church to think that you don't need Jesus. And that's dangerous. This is why we talk about parishes as often as we do. The reason that we plead, get into a parish, is that when you get into a neighborhood parish, they, this community of people are there to massage the gospel of grace into you. They're there to speak into your life so that your life isn't, your heart isn't hardened and your worship isn't in vain. And so, so far in verses 1 through 10, uh, man, he's really had nothing positive to say. This has been just one rebuke after another. You've forgotten my unconditional love. Your heart is hard and your worship is in vain. All of it is negative. But then we hit verse 11. In verse 11, there's a hard left turn. And you go from one of the darkest statements in the Bible to one of the most positive statements in the Bible and actually creates a significant problem for us. And so let's read it. Four. From the rising of the sun to the setting, to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name. And a pure offering for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Here, here's the problem with this verse. Look at the first word. The problem is the word for. The problem is the word for that verses 10 and 11 are dramatically connected and so you have this incredibly negative, incredibly dark statement in verse 10 with an incredibly positive outcome in verse 11. So verse 10, I, I don't even want you to, to, I don't even want you in my temple. Verse 11, my name's going to be feared among the nations. I don't want your vain offering. Verse 10, verse 11, going kind to of have a pure offering, an incense burned among the nations. This simply can't be, you can't go you can't go from such a dark statement in verse 10 to such a positive statement in verse 11, unless, unless, unless verse 10 happened. Hebrews 13 says that Jesus suffered outside the gate, that when Jesus was on the cross, here's what happened. The door to the temple was closed. 
access to the presence of God was shut off. He was set outside so that you and I could be invited in. Verse 11 can be said because verse 10 happens. And do you know why he started with Jacob I loved and Esau I hated? Because in the story, you're Jacob. Unmerited, undeserved. Nothing in me, nothing in you that says we deserve the cross of Christ. And yet Jesus went to the cross so the door could be shut, access could be closed, so that you and I could be invited in. And then verse 11 gets repeated again in verse 14. Let's keep reading. But you profane it. It's going to get negative again, and then we'll hit verse 14. But you profane it. You profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its food may be despised. But you say, what a weariness is this. When you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord. Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. This is just a recap of such negative dark statements leading up to verse 11. And now verse 11 gets recapped again when he says, For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. And so in this chapter, chapter 1, three times you're going to hear, my name will be feared among the nations. My name will be great among the nations. It'll be outside the borders of Israel. My name will be feared. This is why Israel existed. Israel existed to make the name and fame of God known among the nations. And this is why Sojourn exists. We exist as a people, as a church, Sojourn Heights and Sojourn Houston. So the name of God might be feared and exalted among the nations. But I need to talk about this. We need to, we need to be face to face with a reality that, that Sojourn, Sojourn Heights in particular, we, we went through a forming season. We, we had the season where where we were building the temple, right? We were establishing the new local church. Everything was clear. We had a clear intent, a clear purpose. This is why we're here, and now we have moved on. Right, the, the forming days have gone by, and I know, listen, I, I, I know some of you, especially our, our longtime members here at Sojourn, some of you are mourning the early days being gone. I, we know this. I know this. I know the excitement of the startup. I know some of us are mourning the excitement of the startup being gone. And mourning that we transition into a norming phase of life. But we have to acknowledge that we are in a norming phase of life. And in a norming phase of life, there is a danger. There is a danger of mission drift. And so here's what I want to ask. Here's how I want to land the plane. I want to land the plane asking this question. What is 
the greatest danger to mission drift for us at Sojourn Heights. For us at Sojourn Houston. What, what is our greatest danger to mission drift? Is it, is it a lack of clarity about vision or strategy? Is it sticking with an old vision or strategy too long? Is it adopting a new vision or strategy too soon? The answer is absolutely not. The answer, the greatest danger to mission drift is that we would abandon verse 2. I have loved you, says the Lord. I have loved you, says the Lord. I have loved you, says the Lord. The greatest danger to mission drift is that we would forget the unconditional love of God for us and that collectively and corporately and individually we would drift into a hardened heart and that our Sunday gathering, our parish gatherings and parish life would become vain ritual. That is the great danger to mission drift. Mission drift This might not be true for a corporation. It is certainly true for a church. The the danger to mission drift has little to nothing to do with vision and strategy and everything to do with the hearts of the people. The great danger to mission drift is that we would abandon verse 2. I have loved you, says the Lord. I have loved you, says the Lord. And so where do we leave chapter 1? We leave chapter 1 where we started chapter 1. Remember, 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 remember I have loved you, says the Lord. And just like a marriage that's drifting, just like a marriage that's drifting has to remember what drew them together. We have to collectively and together remember and remind one another. I have loved you, says the Lord. And hear the Lord saying to us, as a father would get on his knee to his children, looking us in the eye and saying, I love you because I love you because I love you. Hey, hey, sojourn. Stop. Stop the anxiety over last week and over last month and over last year. I know what you've done. I know who you are. I know that you're Jacob. And I love you because I love you because I love you. Remember. Let's pray.